Tiffany and Laura Butler, you could give them a million dollars each. They ain't coming up here and get on that microphone. With one of these days, I, I will accomplish. It's kind of like me, very shy, very, very introverted. The, th- the two of them and my wife, you could put them down here and just going to stand there. Say, here's a million dollars. No, I'm not speaking. I said, well, give me the money. I will speak. Forget the money. I'll speak anyway because I just like to hear my voice. I ran to an old friend this week in, in, uh, at Kroger. I'm running to everybody at Kroger. Uh, they have my picture on the wall if you go over and look. Don't talk to this guy. You'll never get anything done. And sure enough, we run in, and I hadn't seen him in a while. We're just, I said, man, I got to tell you a story. He goes, Randy, I ain't got time. <laughs> I said, you know, I understand that. I really do. And uh, so I need to, I've been told repeatedly, you, you, uh, you like to tell stories, don't you? Now, they're true. I'm not making up lies. But anyway, next week across the hall, 930 in room three. Secondly, time, time sensitive. If you want your child to play basketball, you need to get them signed up. They're formed right there next to my palatial office, right there on the little stand. If you want your child, 16 and under, to play basketball, four, about 4 to 16, you need to get them signed up like today. So I can know, I can, can talk to the people and see how many uh, teams we might have and or leagues, uh, if the leagues are available, certain ages. Uh, sometimes as they get a little older, it's hard to find leagues for them. So I just need to know where we are, what we have, and then we'll go from there. All right. Turn to Acts chapter 24. What we're going to wrap up today is the Apostle Paul before Felix, the governor, Roman governor of Judea. So if you'll take your hand out, we, we focused on number one last week. So once you look at number one, then we're going to transition into number two and finish it up this week. What we're seeing here, and again, persecution after persecution in the life of Paul. What we're seeing here is that he's been brought before Felix, as we said, the Roman governor of Judea. And number one, we talked about last week, the false accusations against him, against toward Paul, of, uh, brought by the Jews, of it being a rebellious against Rome, that him uh, preaching heresy, a false illegal religion, and that he was desecrating the temple. And so now we're, we're at number two. This is where we started. We began to hit on this last week, and we're going to, a couple of things, and then we're going to get into it in greater detail. Paul's answers to the false accusations against him, he simply shares from his faith, the truth. If you'll notice verse 10, 24 verse 10. Then Paul, Felix nods to him, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, Felix, he answered, and as much as I know that you've, you, Felix, have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. I appreciate, O governor, the opportunity to tell you the truth because these guys have just simply been standing here lying to you. That's in essence what Paul is saying here. Because they started out with flattery, and we talked about all that last week. So he says, I appreciate the opportunity to tell you the truth. Verse 11, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple, nor can they prove the things which they now, of which they now accuse me. So quickly, and we'll get into what we really want to talk about today as we hit this last week. Here's Paul's answers. There's no proof of me being rebellious or sedition, uh, anything against Rome. I haven't had time to start a riot. I hadn't been here long enough. There long enough. Now I've been here, I've been in custody. I hadn't had time to start a riot. Not only that, there was no effort on my part. There's not one witness that I was ever trying to start a riot anywhere. I simply went there to worship. There's simply, verse 13, no evidence of my guilt whatsoever. That's where we were last week. So now I want to deal with the, begin to deal with the, the next one in verse 14. 
through verse 16 and deal with how Felix responds. So in verse 14, he says, not only that these other things they've accused me of, there's also no proof of heresy. The I, verse 14. But, in other words, I haven't been guilty of anything. There's no evidence. This I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, the Jews in Rome also did, I worship the God of my fathers. I worship the God of my fathers as a Jew, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, the Jews, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Specifically, the Pharisees believed this. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They were both on the Sanhedrin. The, San, the, the Sadducees were more powerful politically. The Pharisees were more conservative religiously. And he's saying the Pharisees, of which, by the way, I, Paul, had been one at one point, they would agree with me on what the scriptures teach about the resurrection. Verse 16, this being so, I myself always struggle. So let's lay this out a little bit because it's really important and principally we can learn from it applicably in our lives as believing and preaching a heresy about this way. He said, I'm guilty, historically we understand. This was, this, the Rome did not consider Christianity, people like Paul, as a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth who had called himself the way, they said they're followers of the way, just another crazy group of Jews following this Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be their Messiah. Jesus wasn't the first one to come on the scene and say, I am the Messiah. There had been many of them. He simply was the only one who was God. He was the one who was the Messiah. So the Rome looked at them as followers of the way. So here's what Paul is saying. I am Jewish. No question about it. I'm proud of being Jewish, and I'm also a follower of the way, Jesus of Nazareth. I believe him to, this is what Paul was explaining to Felix, a Roman governor of the Jews. He said, that's simply what a true Jew is. And he would write this later on at great length in Romans, for example, that a true Jew is not one who just to circumcise, but a true Jew is one who has circumcision of the heart whether they're Jewish or they're Gentile, Roman, whatever, pagan, whatever it might be, the ones who are true Jews according to the way in the scriptures of God are ones whose hearts have been changed, circumcised spiritually, and are followers of Jesus of Nazareth as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way a man can know God. He said, so, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not against the law in Rome. I am a follower of his, but I'm also a true Jew, because that's what a true Jew would do. Would see laid out in the Jewish scriptures about who the Messiah would be. Is that man. He is the way. He is a Nazarene, and he's the prop of their scriptures. Verse 14, again, this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of my fathers as a Jew, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I worship the God of Israel. Secondly, I believe that that God's law, that God of Israel, that God's law and the prophets or his holy writings, the writ, what they would call scripture, I believe that. Verse 15, I have hope in God. They would believe and accept this, that there's resurrection of the dead, the just and the unjust. Those who are followers of the way, those who are not, they're all going to be resurrected to judgment one day. I believe that. 
their Old Testament scriptures teach that. I believe the God of Israel. I worship him. By the way, that's what I was doing in Jerusalem. They accused me of creating right. I was just simply doing the worship at Pentecost like any good Jew would do. That's what I was doing. I believe God's word. I believe it's the divine revelation of God to the Jews and historically bringing the Messiah for all men. I believe everything written in those scriptures. Now, in essence, what he's saying is both the Pharisees and the Sadducees say they believe these scriptures. They hold them up as holy writ, but their lives do not reflect that. They say that they worship the God of Israel. I actually have proven to do that because I've accepted the Messiah promised in that God's scriptures. They have not. My This being so, my, my, I myself, as a godly Jew, flies and Felix had the authority to do whatever he wanted to do as the Roman governor of any, anything that can prove me guilty of being a... Un, un, so I live before you, Felix, and my society in which I am, before God and men, I simply live the way I believe a godly Jew should. They take offense at that because they don't want anyone to follow Jesus as the Messiah. They want them to do exactly what, they want the people to do exactly what they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, want them to do and stay under their thumb as opposed to following the way. Verse 17, next point. There's no proof of this idea that I committed sacrilege in any way that I desecrated the temple. There are many years I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, Israel, in the midst of which mom nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Where are they? They're, they're not even here. Else let those who are here wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council or the Jewish Sanhedrin, the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. There was no proof of me desecrating the temple. Number one, I was simply there to bring an offering for poor Jews. We talked about it earlier as we were studying the book of Acts, that he was going around, it's so beautiful, Paul was going around to the Gentiles and all the churches that he started, the church being Jewish and Gentile, one body, and he was going to the Gentiles in these churches, Ephesus and other places, Macedonia, and collecting an offering from, the, from them to take to Jerusalem to give to the poor, this offering to them from the Gentiles to the Jews. Again, one of the things he was doing was to make the state in Christ. So he's saying to Felix, I was simply at the temple, came to Jerusalem to bring an offering for the poor. That's what I was doing. I sit there from the Macedonian Gentiles, an offering. Completely legitimate for him to be there. He was there at Pentecost to worship. Verse 18. In the midst of which I found some Jews from Asia found me, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. Not with a mob, nor with tumult. We studied earlier. He went to the temple to, to he was making a statement to the Jews. He went with the, the guys for the Nazarite vow. He was simply there for their time of purification. Again, perfectly legitimate for him to be there. I was simply at the temple worshiping in, 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 that, in the rites of purification with those guys. Perfectly legitimate for me to be there. In verse 19 and 20, 
Where are my accusers? Verse 19, if they got a problem, you ought to be here to say so. Verse 20, or let Ananias and the elders and their mouthpiece lawyer that they brought with them speak up. That when I stood before the Sanhedrin, what happened? They couldn't find any guilt in me. Speak up when they have nothing to say. So here's his summary, verse 21. This is really important. Verse 21, his summary. It is for this one statement, which I cried out standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. He said, Jerusalem to Caesarea to accuse me and hopefully have you, Rome, put me on trial and convict of anything. I'm simply accused of being here because I spoke up before the Sanhedrin about the Pharisees. We mentioned earlier the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't agree about the resurrection. In a Roman court, being accused by Jews, something that, it's not about the laws. It's about the fact that these guys hate what I teach and stand of. What did the Jews do when they decided we have to get rid of Jesus of Nazareth? Who did they get to do it for them? Rome. They took him up and said, he says he's king and not Caesar's not king. They got the crowd to say, we'll take Barabbas instead. And you know it as well as I do. Pilate was talking to Jesus and Pilate was trying to, and what, Pilate, again, a Roman governor trying to work all this out. He said, why don't you take Barabbas? By the way, Barabbas deserved it. He's a hardened criminal. Here, take him. And they were so bent on killing Jesus, they said, set the criminal free. Put him back out on society to hurt somebody else and crucify Jesus. It's exactly what's going on here. Paul is a threat to us and all our authority and all that we hold dear our self-righteous religion, he's got to go. Maybe we can get Rome to do it for us again. And so Paul says, look, Felix, I'm a law-abiding Roman citizen. And I'm standing before you today because these Jews who are right here, who, got, who have nothing to say, and there is no evidence, and what I've certainly not committed a crime against Rome. And even what they're accusing me of, Rome has nothing to do with they're simply mad because I believe in Jesus and in his resurrection from the dead, and I preach him as the Messiah. Tude toward Paul. Number three on your handout. First thing he does is procrastinate. Verse 22. Accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and says, when Lysias, or Lysias, the commander, comes down, let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. Felix has all the authority. He can do whatever he wants to do. Here's his verdict. Uh, I'm not going to do anything. Felix was a politician to the core. Here's his dilemma. Paul's a Roman citizen. He's not guilty of any crime in Rome or any Jewish crime that he could see. Therefore, the only logical, legitimate verdict that Felix could pass, if he passed the verdict, would be what? Not guilty. There is nothing else he could say. He would have to say he's not guilty. Remember, being a Roman citizen, he can't just do anything he wants to. He's got to abide by the law. And Paul was not guilty. It's a Jewish problem. He said, I can't find any guilt. But, remember, he's a Roman governor of Judea. Judea's population not want to infuriate the Jews. They are his subjects. And the primary reason he did him, 
He didn't want to infuriate the Jews because he didn't want the boys at the home office in Rome to realize he's gone. And Festus takes over. You govern your area and you govern it with an iron hand. And if you can't handle it, we'll handle it for you and you won't lie. And he didn't want to deal with Rome. So he didn't want to infuriate the Jews, but he knew Paul was not guilty. So his decision, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to keep Paul in custody. Quote, we're going to let him have liberty, let his friends visit him, let his friends meet his needs. So in other words, he wasn't put in the common prison, that's what the Greek phrase means. He was not put in close confinement like in a cell. We're going to wait on Claudius Lysias to come down. And by the way, he had already written a letter exonerating Paul. He didn't need to come down. That was his simply Felix's excuse. So he says, look, keep Paul in custody. We'll give him freedom. Let people visit him. Anybody wants to visit him, let him visit. Let him bring stuff. Don't do anything. Just leave it alone. Let Paul have a nice place to stay. And let's let it go until I can figure out what I'm going to do. So the next thing he does, we just notice that he has a more accurate knowledge of the way. Part of that was because of his wife who was Drusilla, who was Jewish. So he knows about this Jesus of Nazareth. He knows about the Messiah. He knows what's going on. So the next thing he does is he thinks about what Paul has to say. Look at verse 24. So I'm going to wait, we've seen, wait until Claudius Lysias comes. Verse 24, after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and he heard him concerning the faith. That's an important phrase. In Greek, the little word the is what's called the definite article, which means he's not talking about Jesus Christ, Christianity. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. So prompted probably by his wife, Drusilla, again, who's Jewish, and uh, interesting historically who this lady was. Her great-grandfather, you may have heard of, at, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit at Christmas. Uh, tried to have every child under the age of two slaughtered in Bethlehem. That was her great-grandfather, Herod the Great. Um, her great-uncle had John the Baptist beheaded, and her father killed the Apostle James. Now, she's not guilty of these things, but uh, not a great family. So, that's his wife. So, Felix... Listen to Paul about the faith. So in essence, and this is what I love about it, and applicably, it's so important to us. He's going to stay in custody. He doesn't know for how long. It ends up being two years. Remember, God has said, you are going to Rome. You know, what would be your logical response to God at this point? What are we doing here? Remember Abraham? God said, Abraham, you're going to have a child through Sarah. And 25 years later, she finally has one. Kind of like uh, in, in the interim, Abraham tries to help God out. The whole Ishmael situation in Hagar. A logical response, a human response would be, Lord, you told me you want me at Rome. Why am I sitting here doing nothing, cooling my heels at Caesarea? Notice what Paul does. Peter calls him in and says, I'd like to hear more. He expects humanity. He puts a rightful demand on us that we need Jesus of Nazareth because he was perfect because he was God so we Priscilla all humanity needs to be righteous before God and the only Felix 
And Felix, by the way, knew he was unrighteous. If you study him, he was, wherever I am, wherever I find myself. Secondly, he talked to him about righteousness or justification. Secondly, he talked to him about self-control. And Felix and Drusilla had none at all. They simply used people for their own personal gain, whatever it took. This is the, the only other usage of this term in all the writings of Paul is when he, in Galatians, when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. One of those is self-control. So here's what Paul was telling him. You cannot have self-control. You cannot have the power to live righteously before your God without that presence of God, the Holy Spirit, in you. Justification, sanctification, and then finally he talks to him about glorification, the judgment to come. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, Jesus of Nazareth. You, Felix, you, Drusilla, me, and everybody in the Roman Empire will face this Jesus who is the way one day as your judge. So he talks to him about righteousness, self-control, and judgment. He shares the gospel with him, the same thing we are commissioned to do as believers. Wherever you find yourself, he found himself chained up and in custody for two years at Caesarea. So rather than whining and complaining to God, what does he do for his two years at Caesarea? Every time Felix calls him in, he just talks to him about the gospel. We'll see more about that in a moment. So what's Felix's immediate response? Look at verse 25. And he would not be prepared. He knew he was lost. His answer was, I don't want to talk to him anymore about this right now. You go away. Yeah. We'll talk about it some other time. He's not disrespectful. He's not mean. We have a great relationship. I just don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it some other time. Well, my brother will be 70 before long. And when's his time? I don't know when his time on earth is over. What do I do now? What do I know? It's appointed unto man wants to die. And so every opportunity I get, we talk about it. Because I love him. Now, he doesn't agree with me, and that's fine. I still love him. We talk about it. We dialogue about it. But I'm not going to give up. We'll pray for him and keep trying to share with him. Because I do love him. And I do care about him. And I do want him to understand, you're going to face the judge one day. And unless you're declared righteous in Christ, you'll be separated from God forever. That time is coming. It's appointed that a man wants to die. He's afraid. Go away. And then he says, when it's convenient, I'll talk to you again. The Bible says, Paul wrote later to the church at Corinth, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. The book of Proverbs says, don't boast yourself about tomorrow. You don't know if you have a tomorrow. But the other thing is, in the moment, I think even as Paul wrote the church at Corinth those words, I bet he was thinking about Felix. Because for two years on a regular basis, Felix called him in. And he, he loved them. He wanted to see them redeemed. And I think for us as believers in our hearts, be honest with ourselves because God already knows, do you really care? Pray for them? Do you hurt? They're not, and again, if you share, they're not always going to agree with to share with them. Paul did. Even his enemies. Let's look at, let's wrap this up. Look at what Felix does. 
But finally, he just politicizes the whole thing. Verse 26. Meanwhile, he had also hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Oh. Politician to the core. That he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. In other words, he called him in all the time. You know what Paul's going to talk about? Why was Felix calling him in? He said, look, you know, I had the power to set you free, bub. And for the right amount of money, I can make that happen. It's exactly what's going on here. So he talked with Paul, notice the word, often. See if he can sell him his freedom. But the other thing he does, look at verse 20, succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. In other words, I'll just make this Festus problem. I'm not going to incite the Jews. And he was removed because there was a riot. He was such a cruel leader that finally Nero, you couldn't get much worse than Nero. Even Nero had enough and sent Festus to replace him because he created riots among the Jews. So he says, this is about A.D. 59. And in 11 years, Rome is going to level Jerusalem, level the temple to finally quell the riot of the Jews. Paul experienced, again, God says he's just going to wait. This is so important. In, in, particularly with a lot of the, what we're going through and uh, time changes and different things or, or changes in, in, with our church. Sometimes, many times, and it's hard for me. I don't know if it's just men in general. I guess it's just hard for us as human beings. When God says, just wait, I'm not going to give you the answer right now. I want you to trust me and wait, 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 but not a waste of time. Paul was at Caesarea. He thought he was going to Rome. God said, no, right now I got you here for a couple of years. He didn't know it at the time. It ended up being a couple of years. But while you're here, preach the gospel to Felix. Go preach the gospel to Festus, possibly even Nero. We know two governors and a king for sure. And he gets to Rome as a prisoner. Again, God reminded me again, as we wrap this up, God never wastes a hurt, does not use the pain that you face. And I, you know, I'm a Christian almost 50 years. And I look back, and then you can see how God was doing things. Then, it, some of the stuff was horrific. But God never wastes a hurt. He never, the, the delays are always for a reason. Paul would later write to the church at Philippi these words. And I love, I love the whole book of Philippians. It's been very instrumental in my life. He writes these words. I don't complain of want or having need. I've learned whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In any and in all circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger who strengthens me. We love to quote that last part. I can do all things in context. Here's what he's saying. I can put up with and I can endure and I can go through all things because Christ sometimes really bad. And as he wrote this, he was waiting to be executed, he thought. But as he writes this, he thinks that's what's going to happen to him. And he's saying, good or bad, if I die, that's great because it'll be good for you. 
Christ is my capacity. It's not I can do whatever I want to because I'm a Christian. No, Christ is my capacity to deal with whatever I have to deal with because I'm in Christ. F.B. Meyer wrote these words, and we're going to end with this today, about God's delays. Often we mistake God and interpret his delays as denials. What a chapter might be written of God's delays. It's the mystery of the art of educating human spirits to the finest temper of which they are capable. What searchings of heart, what analyzings of motives, and what testings of the word of God, what upliftings of the soul, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of God, nevertheless, big with spiritual destiny. But such delays are not God's final answer to the soul that trusts him. He simply says, I'm always, Romans 8, 28, written by Paul, I'm always working good to those who love me. Even though in the moment it does not look, feel, or even appear to ever be good, How could this possibly be good? God says, I always am working good for those who love me. Because when you look back and you see the end result, how God got you to where you are, you realize, oh, he was doing that. And, oh, he was doing that. And that's why the theme of the entire Bible is the righteous live by faith. We trust God. Again, as we look at Just another reminder that you're God in the life of the Apostle Paul. What it means to trust you. Even when we do not understand, illustrations could be shared. People hurting, even right now, horrific things you're going through in their family, their, their job, their health. They do not understand the whys or what you're doing. But Lord, you just simply remind us again, I am in control. I am doing good. I am your father. I love you. I don't make mistakes. Trust me and glorify me in the midst of your prison, whatever it might be. Your chaining, whatever it might be. As Paul said, I'm an ambassador in chains. That we would understand that and not forget it. Where we are, individually, that we would simply say, all right, Lord, how in this moment can I honor you? We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.
Thank you, guys. A couple of things I want to mention to you, and then we will be done. Thank you. I can see. If you're visiting with us today, we really appreciate you choosing to worship with us. You could have been anywhere else, and you chose to be here. We're grateful. Pray the Lord blessed you, and if you felt welcome, if you got any questions, just uh, buttonhole me. People don't like me to use that word. Buttonhole me, and I'll be glad to. Lauren's going to give you the definition of that word later. I'll explain. Uh, any any questions, I'll be uh, happy to answer them for you. Uh, we do not expect you to give. You're our guest.